It's morphin' time. Recognize that one? How about this one? Avengers, a symbol. That one ring a bell? Okay, I got another one for you. May the force be with you. I know, you forgot your lightsaber at home. My bad, I, mean, I, got, I got one more, just one more. Let there be light. Now, what do these four calling cards have in common? Resistance. Diversity colliding, coming together to form a galactic sucker punch to the face of the forces of darkness, be they teenagers with attitudes, superpowered adults who act like teenagers with attitudes, or <laughs> individuals super sensitive to that which holds all of life together, committed to its good side, knights at war among the stars. They are all forces of light. Projections of our imagination, yes, for some, but more importantly, and in truth, they are reminders of two infallible truths. One, if you want to identify what is behind all of our problems, pains, and killjoys, look no further than the forces of darkness. And two, when God said, let there be light, he was talking about all of us. Let's do a quick exegesis. Genesis 1, verse 1, vision cast, and God created the heavens and the earth. The rest of the chapter, how he does it. Verse 2, darkness has entire world covered, and yet in the midst, the Holy Spirit still hovers. Verse 3, the grand, and God said, let there be light. Now, to save us some time, I must highlight the sun and its shine isn't established until verse 14, and this is still only verse 3. So what did God order just that? When God said, let there be light, he was saying, let there be order against all forms of chaos that the faces of darkness would attempt to cover our world in. Now, nothing against sky, birds, land, animals, seas, and fish, but let's skip to verse 26. Let us make mankind in our image and likeness. And so God did. His intent, us governors of his order of light, what a government. Then two chapters later settles in the first consequence of sin, not the murder of a brother, but now shame being a part of how we view ourselves and each other. No quick cover up. Even in the presence of God, we're not good enough. The forces of darkness are now at work, and over time, the work weakens us, praying for week's end until the work week begins again. But as centuries unfold, prophecies from long ago, let there be light still has its hold, especially now wrapped in our clothes, light of the world becoming light in the world, new Genesis shining bright in the dark and the forces cannot comprehend Jesus Christ, Yeshua HaMashiach, what a beautiful, truly beautiful name yes. it is. He Word made flesh, reordering the light. Welcome back, God's government. And yes, eventually rejected and despised, crucified. But in three days' time, 
how many truly realize the implications of the sun's rise? Welcome back, God's government. So much more to say, but forces of light. We must understand that it is morphing time to transform our assemblies into avengers, not of a force with us, but because we are the force darkness is afraid of. Jesus Christ put it like this. You are the light of the world. Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King put it like this. It is not evil. No, it is evil. We are seeking to defeat. Not persons, not people victimized by this evil. Yeah. You see, the tension at the bottom is against justice and injustice. It's between the forces of light and the forces of darkness. So we must never forget that there was something within human nature that can respond to goodness. That man is never totally depraved. No, he is not totally depraved. To put it theologically, the image of God is never totally gone. So... Let there be light, and may the force be with you. No, 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 better yet. Let there be light, and may we be the force we're meant to. Thank you. Give it up for here. Oh, dude. Man. I appreciate it, brother. Oh, appreciate it. packing a punch, you know? Gosh, that was like super condensed theology. Amen. I'm so glad I don't have to preach right now because wow. I want to follow you in that. I, I did I that last year and it's like, I don't want to do that. So, <laughs> hey, thanks so much for lending us your gift, for sharing man. that. That was powerful. Just thanks powerful. for having me, man. Appreciate Give it up again. It. God bless you, Pierre. Uh, that's incredible. That was just incredible. May the force be with you and may you be the force. I uh, appreciate that. I'm Greg Boyd, uh, teaching pastor here. It's good to see you folks here who braved the Omicron and came out here and were part of this. Um, and it's good to have you guys and uh, our pod richeners, our pod creation joining us here. We're going to have a panel discussion. And uh, I'm, I'm really excited about this. Uh, last week, uh, commemoration of Martin Luther King Day, I, I spoke about the forces of darkness and how our battle is never against uh, flesh and blood, uh, but it's against principalities and powers that hold, try to hold everybody captive and bring darkness uh, in, in this world as much as possible. And we do that by refusing to ever not love somebody. Amen? And so I gave this assignment. If you weren't here, uh, uh, listen up on this. Um, I didn't really give an assignment. I invited us to enter into a covenant. And the covenant is that for the next month, and we'll evaluate after a month. But uh, we had handed out the pieces of paper that you can write names on. You can also get this online. And we're encouraging people to write out the names of the people you have the hardest time loving, the people who really make your blood boil, uh, the people that part of you would maybe love to hate. If you weren't a follower of Jesus, these are the folks that you'd be hating, despising, loathing. And, and, and write those out. It could be a uh, you know, the boss at the office. It could be a politician. <laughs> they can make your blood boil pretty easy. Uh, it, it could be anyone who just triggers you. And, so, and, and be praying for that person. Pray blessing over them. Reminding yourself that they're not the enemy. Uh, they are themselves uh, being 
captive, or held captive by the, the, the forces of darkness. It doesn't remove us our, of our, our responsibility. Uh, people are still free agents, but there's an influence that, that, that brings people into blindness and bondage and captivity, and we all have to push against that. Resistance, as he so eloquently said, resistance. Uh, be, maybe part of the reason why that landed so, so strongly with me is that I, I, I've been watching the Marvel uh, series uh, with uh, my son, and uh, they're actually pretty good. <laughs> I, I didn't think I'd like it that much. I was doing it because I'm a good father, but uh, I, 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 I get to really enjoying those. So, so, so be the... Uh, the Christ-like avenger, the, the, the force of light uh, that pushes back the darkness. So we have our distinguished panel here. I'm Greg. Uh, this is Cedric Baker. You guys all know him. And we have Delon Smith and Shauna Bourne, who will be doing a uh, double role here today, d- double duty. Uh, we asked her to be on the panel, and I was originally going to moderate it, but she's just so good at moderating. I don't want to... So, so we said, can you just be the moderator and an part, equal participant on this panel? And so with that, I turn it over to Shauna Bourne. Thank you. Thank you all for sending in your questions. I feel like I always have to give this disclaimer that we do get in so many really good ones, but we do have to watch our time, so we will not get to them all. And the other thing I wanted to say, I felt led this morning to share with you all, is, is these are questions that literally came from you. Like You guys are asking these questions. And so we don't have an agenda here. We just took what was uh, sent in and tried to fit in as many as we could in the way in which you asked them. So this is what you guys have been thinking through and processing um, while Greg was sharing last weekend's sermon um, on forces of light. And just the way that we talk around here about being... um, a united body of diversity. So thank you for sending in your questions. And Greg, I just want to say, like, last week, Forces of Light, you spoke so powerfully and eloquently, and so thank you for that. There's an inside Um, joke behind that, but let's not get into it. (laughs) But you did. And so this first question I do want to shoot your way because this is more directed uh, to you as the leader of the church. And this person just wants to know how they should engage in conversation about race with other Christian friends, when those Christian friends say that churches churches should focus more on the gospel and less on being woke. And so they feel like if they were to try to get into conversation, that it would just turn into a political debate and they'd rather avoid it. So, Yeah, uh, I get that a lot. Um, Where people will just easily dismiss you by having a label. Oh, you're one of those, part of that crowd. Uh, the whole woke thing, um, I don't know the history of the word, but I, I first kind of, it, it seemed like it really gained currency after the George Floyd murder. And um, as I understand it, it initially referred to folks, uh, white folks, who kind of woke up to the reality of racism. Uh, their eyes were opened up. And, um, uh, and that happened uh, quite a bit. I remember seeing on the local news, uh, they interviewed a guy who was uh, at the Capitol. And um, uh, this, this, this guy just was... He was just saying, up until a few days ago, um, I lived in a different America. And I, I, he says, I was raised to believe that, that, that there's an equal platform here. Everyone has the equal opportunity, uh, that the system is basically just. And, and now I, I'm seeing that, that there's so much that I was blinded to. And he was just crying as he's saying this. And so he was waking up to a reality. I, I think that's something, a process that, that a lot of white folks have to go through uh, to really begin to see kind of what else is going on. Uh, when you live in a world of privilege, you're, you're barricaded from things uh, and um, can be blind to, to some of those realities. So it started as a positive word, 
but now it seems like it's kind of morphed into a pejorative thing, a negative thing, where uh, some folks who will say, oh, you're one of those woke crowds. It's kind of synonymous with liberal. Uh, and, and they say that so that, you know, I don't need to listen to what you have to say. Oh, you're just, you know, kind of one of those crowds. They do the same thing with the word liberal or, you know, whatever. It's just a way of dismissing it. But here's the thing. Um, sometimes as, as, as we're trying to live out the kingdom, uh, our, our causes and our emphasis will, will intersect with, with, the, with the causes of other people. Um, and that's fine. And we should build alliances if, if there's a common cause. And we're doing that around here all the time. That's what all of our ministries that, that from the outside are, are, are about. And, um, but the, we do what we do, not because we want to belong to some crowd or jump on the bandwagon of some cause out there, but just because it's the kingdom thing to do. It's, it's a biblical thing to do. What some folks then do is that if you have this in common with this crowd, they'll say, oh, you're one of that crowd. Oh, you belong to that. You know, it's like um, so some folks have said, oh, since you, you believe that people have free will and make our own decisions, you must be a, a, a process theologian. And it's true that we have free will in common, but other than that, we don't have anything in common. We just happen to intersect process thought and my thought on, on, on this, this area. But that'd be like me saying to Calvinists, oh, you must be Muslim because you think God controls everything. Um, well, it's true that most Muslims believe that Allah controls everything, and most Calvin, Calvinists believe that. But I would never call a Calvinist a Muslim. It, it's, it's the, because you have something in common doesn't mean you're part of that crowd. So if I was this person, uh, I would just blow them off and walk away. I mean, Dipsy, done with it. But it was done. <laughs> just kidding. Just kidding. <laughs> no, uh, you know, it, so in love, just try to make that distinction. That, that, uh, and and uh, you, you want to patiently be in there and, and, and talk with them. What do you mean by woke? And why would you think that that's a woke gospel? Why well, think the gospel isn't about waking up? <laughs> that's kind of an odd thing to say. So, uh, yeah, in love, just try to unpack that a little bit and try to help the person see you in your particularity instead of a, as, as part of a category. Yeah. Uh, you know, share your story and particularize it so they're talking with you as a person rather than dismissing you as one of those people. Right. It's so important, too, like if, if, if you are trying to engage in that dialogue and then they come up with, um, oh, you're one of those woke and, and you can sense that's going to be a barrier, for you to not respond with a barrier because that's so easy to do. Like, oh, okay, so we're not going to have this conversation, right, because you already have your – so we have to kind of like put all that aside and be willing to engage and unpack and take the time to talk about what we mean versus yes. what they mean. I think that's really helpful. Yeah, I, I, I just want to piggyback on that because you said exactly what I was thinking. Um, in situations like that where we're using terms like woke or, or whatever it may be, I think it's really good for us to uh, have a, a, an understanding of what that means. Um, right. And so for persons that are using that, you know, a, a response that I would suggest is for, is for you to ask them to explain what they mean by that. Um, so that we're at least talking about the same thing because we could be in an argument forever <laughs> and not even be talking about the same thing. Right. right. So let's get on the same page. You know, what do you mean by, by woke? Yeah. So that, you know, we can re refute those arguments if, if we're not talking about the same things. Amen. Requires dialogue and not yeah, just absolutely. shutting down right away. Absolutely. Amen. All right. So, Cedric, I'm going to come to you with this one. Uh, we're going to refer to Dr. King. And Dr. King wrote openly about his disappointment with the white church's failure to support civil rights. So we've seen that in... Mm -hmm. Um, a lot of our studies of Dr. King. The situation seems largely unchanged today, this person feels, when being a white Christian in America is the single best predictor of supporting the movement that has gutted the Voting Rights Act 
and passed hundreds of racially targeted voter suppression measures across the country. It's a lot of words, but you get what we're saying. What lesson should we take today in addressing the power of white supremacy in our midst? What lessons from Dr. King should we take? And then also, what should we do similarly or what should we do differently? Yeah, thanks, Shana, for the question. So when I'm thinking about this question, what, goes to, what comes to my mind is um, Dr. King in his letter in 1963 um, in the Birmingham jail about his dissatisfaction or displeasure with the church, and specifically the white church. And his concern was um, more so that there were people that were standing on the sidelines in the church and not saying anything. In that letter, he specifically highlighted that he was more concerned about the moderate or the Christian moderate than he was around some of those, he specifically said the Ku Klux Klan. Um, because his concern was he needed allies in the fight. And I think that not a lot has changed with that sentiment. We still need allies in the fight. And I know this person brought up around voting and things like that, but I just wanted to make sure that there was context about what was going on. Dr. King was in Birmingham, Alabama, because of the injustice that was happening. He, I think he also said in that letter that at that time, Birmingham was like one of the most racist cities in America. And so his concern was, it's hard to say that you still love God and that you're on the, on the side of justice when you see the injustice happening in your city and you're mm-hmm. doing nothing about it. Um, in that letter, he also says that the reason that they are marching or the reason that they are Uh, providing a nonviolent protest is to highlight the injustice. There are other ways that he could have done it, and he agreed that, hey, maybe it should be negotiation. Maybe we should have talk and dialogue. But it wasn't working. And so what he was able to use was what was available to him. And so I say that to say that a lot of things have not changed in in the fact that we still need allies in the fight. Um, if it was up, as I've said before, to people of color or African-Americans to eradicate a lot of the issues and injustices we see, it would have been done. Um, we need people that also see these injustices, the treatment of black and brown people um, in many different ways. This could be economic treatment. This could be physical treatment, uh, systemic injustices. But a lot of Christians... Um, sometimes sit on the sideline and don't use their privilege or power or influences that they have Mm -hmm. to help support and make uh, the situation better. I think the other thing that the person said in the um, question is around voters, pretty much like voter suppression and voter rights. A lot of laws and a lot of discussion, a lot of debate has happened over the last few years and specifically going on right now. I know a state Um, that is trying to potentially push legislation that makes it wrong or uh, against the law illegal for a a white person to feel uncomfortable about past treatment to people of color. You can feel however way you want to (laughs) about that, but I think when we start to try to legislate feelings, we have a problem. Um, I think that in this 
kind of culture that we're in right now, we have to be cognizant as people of God that our goal is to ensure that we're not necessarily taking a side, that we are going, as we said in the church, a third way, mm-hmm. the kingdom way. And if there is injustice, if there are issues of injustice that you see, what can you do? What can we do, not, at, not only individually, but also as the church, to stand up and support those people? And that may be many different things. We're not here to tell you what you should and should not do and what you must do. What we're saying is if you see something, you should do something with your influence and potentially your privilege. So those are some of the things that I think of um, around that question. Yeah, that's really good. Thank you. That's excellent. Yeah. Excellent. You say it at all? Yeah. Yeah. I, just, I don't think there's anything more to say. I think. Right. Uh, hey, here's, if I could, Wayne. Yeah, for second, sure. That, um, here's where I think it's really important to have a kind of. Uh, zoom out and, and have a, a, a broad, get a broad perspective on this because how you how you frame an issue will depend on how you interpret it. Right. And so it makes a world of difference if you if you're aware that there has been since the Civil War uh, systemic attempts on the yes. part of white folks to keep black folks and other non-white folks out of power, and this is just a historical document of fact. Um, and, and been very ingenious on trying to adjust the laws in ways that would exclude blacks, uh, just numerous ways, and it's going on today. And so what happens is that falls into a pattern, and, and so then those folks who see it in a broader context will see this as, as continuing this kind of pattern, whereas if you take it in isolation, you'll come up with a very kind of different interpretation. And so uh, here, I think, historical context, and that plays into the principalities and powers as well that have been at work in, in, in this country throughout this. The other thing I'd say is that it's really important here, and Cedric, you talked about this the third way, that um, you can feel very strongly that this is, you know, that this is another attempt to, to uh, restrict, suppress the non-white vote. Um, but it's also important then that to realize that your battle is not against flesh and blood, and so you don't fall into this trap of thinking that everyone who really sincerely believes that we need uh, tighter uh, restrictions on, on voting, uh, that, they're, that they're racist or you know, they're one of those people. Uh, that's what the world's doing, and that's what we must never do because we're called to be, have this distinct, we're ambassadors of the kingdom, and so our approach has got to be a, a distinct Jesus-like kind of approach. Amen. Amen. Yeah, I think as kingdom people, it's, it's okay to say we want to make sure that this process is just and fair, but also follows the rules that are, are um, set there to ensure that it's a fair and just election or whatever, vote. And so I don't think that's a, a race issue. Like we, As kingdom people, we should want things to be fair and just, and we should want that ability to be there for everyone equally. And I think this person, when they asked, what should we do similarly and what should we do differently, we're in a different time. And so, um, yes, there are still people who march because that's what they felt led to do, but there are also people who um, t- use their influence on social media to expose things. And there are people who feel led to do something in their community. And so great and small, just what is it that you feel as a kingdom person that you're called to do to ensure that you are being a light bearer, shining light in whatever darkness that you see that you're able to influence and uh, just being, bringing a piece of Jesus into that situation. It could be simply uh, showing dignity to a neighbor that other people don't, or it, it could look a variety of different ways. And that's where it's important to say, who are you? How are you gifted? How has God wired you? And what is he calling you to do? Because he's calling us each to shine. 
what way in which should we shine? So right. I think that's important. Amen. That leads into this next comment from, uh, and question from someone who said that it seems like whenever you start to talk about race, it inevitably, inevitably ends up in some sort of white blaming, either blaming white people for slavery in the past or for systemic issues now. And that is causing some, understandably, to say, this is a no-win situation. Like, I'm white, I can't win. And so they're asking if we have any advice because they want to be a part of the solution going forward but they just don't know how to overcome this feeling of they're in a no-win situation. And I have literally had these conversations with people who with sincere hearts say, I just am a little tired of feeling like I'm being blamed for things I had nothing to do with. And that's a hard place to be. And I would say to them and have said, no, you personally did not enact um, this process that that held people Um, captive as slaves for hundreds of years. That wasn't you personally, but recognize that it is a reality that happened and recognize that there is still a ripple effect playing out in people's lives today. And just because it's not your experience doesn't mean it's not someone else's experience. It doesn't mean it's not someone else's reality. Mm -hmm. And just to be open to that possibility. And then just to also understand that because of your situation, you probably do get the benefits of life that others don't. And sometimes those benefits are very obvious, and sometimes they're more subtle. The different like checklists that some people have to go through in order to just to move about in society in a safe way, others don't even think about that, right? right? Because they're used to just being about ready um, and able to move about society in their way. And so, no, you are not to blame. Like, and I know that that's been... Um, some people who have been in these experiences have really felt that you're not to blame, but you can still be a part of a solution. Mm-hmm. And you can still recognize that this is a reality for many people, and what can you do to come alongside? Yeah. Yeah, I think um, good response, first of all. Um, yeah, when I, 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 and I hear that a lot, too. Um, you know, when it comes, when it comes to racism, um, the reaction that it has for, for black folks and people of color is that it kills us. Um, whether it's trauma, whether it's high blood pressure, whatever, whatever it is, to have to deal with a power like this from birth, um, it shortens our lives, it kills us. Um, for white folks, the, some of the responses that we get from racism usually, not usually, but in, just going with this question, um, turn to the form of guilt uh, and, and, feeling, and, and, and feeling some, some, some way about what you're hearing um, and, 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 and whatnot. And I, I just want to encourage, um, first of all, I would say that that's, that's a trick of the devil, is to have you feel guilty about uh, racism. Because what that does for many of us um, is, it, is it allows us to be stagnant and to not move and to not do anything um, because we feel guilty that whole no-win situation. And that's exactly where the devil wants you to be yeah. um, in that position where you're not going to do anything about it. Um, and so the way, the way I, I, I kind of think about it is, um, you know, because this racism thing has to do with privilege and it has to do with white privilege. Um, and as a, as a male, I have privilege as well. And so I, I kind of like to think of that, think of it in that context. So there, w- men have been and still are <laughs> oppressing women, um, and some of it has been more overt in the past, and some of it has 
kind of been, um, you know, kind of on the radar type, type thing. But I can't sit there and feel guilty about what men have done to women in the past. Um, I have to understand it. I have to acknowledge it. Yeah. Uh, and I have to make a commitment that I'm not going to be a part of perpetuating it. But I can't sit there and feel guilty about it. What I have to do is I have to make sure that um, in what I can control in, in, my, in my sphere of influence, that I'm fighting for women rights, that I'm fighting for equality with women. Yes. Um, I can't sit there and, and, and feel guilty about what happened. I think there had to be some empathy about that so you can understand um, mm -hmm. you know, what happened um, and you can enter into that, but I can't stay there um, otherwise, I'll, I'll be a part of the system that perpetuates this. Mm -hmm. And then the, the last thing I think about is this quote. Um, I think it's William Dreyer, I think his name is, and I might be chopping that up. Sorry, William. But um, it, it sticks to me, and it says something to the fact of um, when we change the way we see things, the things we see change. Um, and I want to encourage those who, who are feeling guilty around racism and, and what's happened to our black and brown brothers and sisters in this country um, is that instead of looking at guilt, look at it more of a responsibility mm -hmm. that you have to ensure that it doesn't continue. Mm -hmm. That's Excellent. That's good. Good. I want to hear from everyone on this one, so <laughs> I'm not going to move on just yet. I would, uh, I agree with Dilan 100%. I, I was also thinking that just to put it out there, um, because we're not picking sides in this politically, people have used this as a weapon, yeah. right? And so we should name it, right? Yeah. And there are some people that have used um, a past history and trying to move forward and weaponized it in making um, sec uh, white people feel guilty. I'm not proud of it. It has happened. Mm -hmm. um, but because we do have some that are opportunists and are taking advantage of certain times in our history and trying to use it for their benefit doesn't mean that they're right. right. And still doesn't and and it doesn't discredit everything that Delon just said. Right. I still want to be able to just encourage everyone to say that there's so much that you can do and guilt and any time anytime we feel guilty, it, it doesn't really leave us in a good place to be able to act. And so if we can, it's, uh, let me say this, sometimes to potentially get over the guilt that, because it's real, I've heard it too, Shauna, a lot of people navigate it and deal with it. To get over the guilt, it goes back to what Delon said, the empathy, empathy part of it, of under, trying to understand what's going on in certain aspects in certain communities. And to do that, there has to be conversations and discussions and dialogue and potential friendships with people that don't look like you and act like you and vote like you and live in your side of town. And so it is going to be a little bit of putting yourself out there to learn what's going on and hear different perspectives. Because once you understand, hear, know, to me, for me, it means I can do better. And being able to act and get over the guilt, this is one way you should or could be able to do that, which is just really learning and understanding what others are going through and how you can get involved. You didn't do it. 
maybe your mother and father didn't do it, you know, were not specifically connected to Jim Crow slavery or anything like that. But because of the effects of it in our society, you still, based on society, still have power and a level of privilege, as Delon said. And all we're saying is all of us have technically different privileges at different times. How can you use that privilege to impact and move um, forward with um, and creating justice for our black and brown brothers and sisters? Yeah, yeah and Greg, before you tag into this, I just want to say, like, I, I just want to, our heart is we hear you. Um, our heart isn't, well, deal with it. You know, our heart is we hear you, and that is not the intent. Anytime someone from this stage is trying to shine a light on something that is ungodly. And I think dehumanizing people is ungodly. And so our heart is not uh, for you to feel guilty, but if you do feel guilty, maybe sit with that and ask yourself, why do I, why do I feel guilty? Mm-hmm. Maybe, maybe the Lord is trying to maybe reveal something to you. Not that you um, yourself brought boatloads of people over to work the land. No, but what is it that God would reveal to you and show to you? And we're seeing this and you guys are educators. So you're seeing this in a variety of ways. And you even alluded to this, Cedric, when you were talking about some laws being passed. We're seeing it where um, people are wanting to change what what history is being taught so to avert and to avoid uh, people feeling bad. And I, I just, I think that's a slippery slope and it's a little dangerous and that's not our heart and we are supposed to go a third way. But at the same time, we have to deal with the truth of what happened previously in this nation and, um, and then deal with how we're going to um, address it moving forward. So can I just say this before... Uh... <laughs> Yes, yes. Um, Shauna, you hit on it, and I know everybody's, uh, I definitely want to hear from everybody on the uh, panel on this. I know what you're going to say, bro. <laughs> I'm going to take a break. <laughs> I, I, most of you are hearing um, uh, the phrase uh, critical race theory, or CRT, and I'm not asking you to try to take a side or anything like that, but the reason I bring it up is because it's coming up and it's coming up in many different ways. I know Delon and I are hearing about it probably even more because we're in education, uh-huh. um, but it's just popping up in many different ways. And the reason I bring it up is because CRT definitely has a meaning, right? Um, nine times out of 10, this is just my personal perspective and belief, that it's really not being taught in K through 12 settings, right? right? Um, True uh, critical race theory is more of a graduate level course in college, right? However, you do you may have people, and it's and, and this is the issue: things are being converted and connected, which potentially should not. And so, talking about history, talking about what happened in slavery and Jim Crow, does not equate to critical race theory, and all of it is just kind of being put together. Um, I'm not trying to tell you that you need to agree to critical race theory or not agree to it, but it is the buzzword right now. Yeah. It's yep. coming up everywhere, and people are connecting the two with slavery feeling bad, as you just said, and CRT. Mm-hmm. And I bring that out to just say, you all, um, Dylan is right. Like, we are in a fight, we're in a war, and first of all, it's not with each other, right? right. But number two, we also have to make sure that we understand some of these things so we're not fighting against each other or at least knowing what we're trying to support and help. 
CRT, in my estimation, this is just my personal opinion, you all. So this is what I have learned. It happens to be right, but it is. <laughs> this is my personal opinion, so I'm just throwing it out there. But CRT is a way, critical race theory is a theory that says that in pretty much any area of life, it deals with a perspective or a lens of race in all your area of life. That It's hard to talk about anything generally without talking about race. It's hard to talk about living, breathing, anything that you're dealing with without talking about some aspect of race, oppression, or something like that. There are certain things that I agree with with CRT. There are other things that I don't necessarily go with with CRT. But the reason I bring it up is, is it is not just saying that slavery happened, Jim Crow is wrong, and you should feel bad. And what I am hearing and what I'm seeing, it's not right, right? Like, it is not happening in our, the way that the media is saying is happening in our schools, I'm not seeing that. We do have, and when, you, when the media gets a hold of it, you do have certain teachers or administrators kind of going off the rails, saying and doing something they probably should not have. But that is different than critical race theory. And I just want to make sure that I throw that out there because I feel like people are conflating yes. the two. Again, Absolutely. just hearing a term and making a determination about what is meant without having dialogue to really yes. see if you're on the same page at all or arguing about the same thing. thing as <laughs> as Dilan said, right. making exactly. sure we understand yeah. we're talking exactly. about the same thing. Yeah. yeah. But I've actually been accused of preaching critical race theory <laughs> last year, and I didn't really know what it was, so I had to do research. What am I guilty of here? What did I do? Uh, and yeah, so far as I could tell, it's. Uh, uh, yeah, it's just become a word like woke. It's one of those ways of just, uh-huh. you know, just, oh, you're one of those. And um, the theory itself, I, I think there's legitimate, some people have raised legitimate concerns about it, one of them being that it would tend towards complete relativism of our knowledge, that it leads to all subjectivity, so that now if, if you're black, you have your truth, if you're white, you have your truth, and everyone's got their own private truth, mm-hmm. which means then we can't ever, you know, Arrive at a truth. And that's one of the problems we're having in this country is that we don't have any kind of shared truths. You know, we're common things that we trust as sources of, uh, of uh, information. Um, but one concern I have, well, I'll say two things. First, I, I, I totally empathize with this questioner. Uh, in the early 90s, I uh, attended several, uh, several day workshops on race and racism. And um, two of them were very adversarial. Uh, it was, it was uh, a very unpleasant experience as a white person. Uh, there was a guy who was doing this teaching, and he was white, and he was married to a Filipino woman, um, and he was talking about uh, systemic racism, and he used this analogy. He says, you know, because he benefits uh, as a white person, he has these privileges, he says, it's like beating my wife. From morning to night, I, I just beat my wife, and, and I, I can't stop it. It's just, you know... Um, and I was foolish enough to raise my hand and ask a question. And, and I said, well, why don't you stop? <laughs> thing, I hate it, I hate it, I hate it. Because yep. see, here's the thing is that you can't stop being white, but you can stop beating your wife. So it's a really bad analogy. I didn't tell him that. I just asked, mm-hmm. why don't you stop? This guy, Paul Eddy was there. He went on this about 20-second pure just, I won't say it, what he said, but it was swearing, uh, swearing at me for 20, for 20 seconds. It's like, and of course, no one else asked a question after that. <laughs> but, but it was this thing, if you don't get how you're guilty, 
of beating your wife, well, then you're, you're a racist. That, uh-huh. The qualification for not being a racist was that you have to admit, yes, I'm guilty and, and whatever. So, and I, I had a friend who went through this uh, who himself is married to, um, I think, a, a woman from Taiwan. And, and he said, that, you know, after this, uh, this workshop, he said, I never thought I'd see, see the day when, when reconciliation to me is a scary word. Yeah. He goes, I, I, I didn't want to ever touch it again. And, and that's just unfortunate. Yeah. Um, the kingdom way of addressing racism is not that. So I, I, I think that's a legitimate concern. The other thing I'm concerned about, though, is that there's a, for, for white folks who are beginning to wake up, realize you know, some of the history and stuff, um, it can be unsettling. Yeah. Especially if you were taught, you know, that Christopher Columbus came over here and discovered America, and you know, this has been a free country from the word go. And it didn't matter what you, what you were before you got here. Once you got here, we're all equal. If you've been taught that, then discovering that it's not that way can be upsetting. It can be make you even emotional. It might make you defensive. And what concerns me that is, in the name of fighting critical race theory, which, so far as I can tell, most of the people who use that term do not know what it means. Mm-hmm. But in the name of this evil thing, critical race theory. Uh, they don't want to teach anything that's going to make any white students feel uncomfortable. Right. right. And as educators, we all know that sometimes education requires you to get uncomfortable. And, and it, they're actually proposing laws that would now, in the name of fighting critical race theory, and in the name of making sure that white folks don't get uncomfortable, they're, they're rewriting history. Or in some mm-hmm. cases, they're saying, well, if you're going to talk about yeah. uh, you know, that interpretation of, of, of slavery, well, you have to have the alternative. Yeah. And if you're going to talk about the Holocaust, yeah. well, then you have to have the, the alternative. Yeah. It, it, and, and yeah, so it, that, I think, is a, a real grave concern. Mm-hmm. It truly is. It truly is. Yeah. As kingdom people, we've <laughs> got to be willing to be on. You know, since we get our life from Christ, we should be okay. Learn, you know, be curious about everything. Mm-hmm. And if there's things that are unsettling, let them be unsettling. Yeah. Uh, we shouldn't have our identity wrapped up in our particular interpretation of American history. Mm-hmm. I want to give you a second deal. Yeah, I, I, <laughs> I guess educators, like, where, man. <laughs> just want. To- where do I want to chime in here? Um, but I, I uh, yeah, I, I, I just had a couple of thoughts while, while while Greg was talking. Um, you were talking about like, you know, truths, like being different truths, like you know, like people have the truth and like people have their truth and 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 those things. And um, I guess what I want to say about that is yes. Um, there are different truths. We have to understand that. Um, so the way, the way I like to talk about it is we're all swimming in the same water, okay? Um, we, we are all uh, affected by racism. We're affected differently, but we're all, we're all affected by it. Um, and one of the effects that come from that is that there is, um, like, one truth. Um, now, when I think about God and Jesus, yes. <laughs> but when I think about the things we go through on a daily basis, um, someone's experience could be true. Um, and just because you experience it differently doesn't mean that it's not true. Um, there's this quote that, uh, and I'm, I'm, I love my quote, but I never know who says these things. <laughs> but uh, there's a quote that says, like, something to the effect of my, um, my being, the way, I, the way I act, the way I am, is not a failed attempt at being you. Right. Um, and too many times we hold people to what we call um, um, our epistemology, the way that we come to know things. Um, the, you know, the lessons we've learned as we come up, the way we've grown up, the way we've come to know things, we, we see that as truth. And when others give something that's counter to that, uh, we will do everything we can to, 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 to ensure that, that we are pushing that down and, 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 and that we are trying to pull them more to our truth. 
And so I think we have to understand that because of the way that we have all grown up and we've all grown up differently, um, and especially in this country, um, based off of your skin color, um, and the lighter your skin color is, the more opportunities you've probably had in your life. Um, understanding that there's going to be different truths um, and just really taking that stance of, of, of a learner and a listener when it comes to that instead of being someone who, who, who as we say, has these exc exclamation points. Like, this is how it is, and this is how it is, and this is how it is. Um, and what we talk about in our district is um, turning those exclamation points into questions mm. um, so that we are being more of a listener in those situations than, uh, uh, than pushing our truths on people um, as though they are fact. That's a really good point, Dylan. Um, here's where, see, I, I, critical, like what you said, the, the good part of critical race theory, I think, mm -hmm. is that it, it acknowledges that the narrative, for the most part, in American history has been set by white folks. And so their truth was the truth for everybody. And if you disagree, well, then too bad. Mm -hmm. And so uh, Crickle Royce says we ne you need to hear the other narratives from other people. And, and that has to factor into it. And so that's very true. Um, the concern that people have, and this kind of could easily go into a really big philosophical debate that we can't get into, but uh, it, it's when that it, it becomes epistemological relativism, mm. uh, where there's, there's no objective truth on anything. So you, you want to say, yes, we have to be inclusive of all the narratives and hear from one another, but we do that in order to arrive at a truth, the, mm -hmm. the, the, the way things actually are. Mm -hmm. uh, whereas it, it's gotten caught up in this whole postmodern movement that has, is now very much in education, especially in universities, where uh, you know, Derrida and Foucault and some of these other folks are, are saying that all claims to, uh, to truth are claims to power. And, and there is and no truth, it's just power grabbing and all that kind of stuff. So you're right, that's the balance. And I think what's happening now is we're, we're having a, a pendulum swing because white folks have set the narrative and, and it's been the only really perspective heard. Now there's kind of this uh, opening of Pandora's yeah. box to say, well, there is no ultimate narrative. Uh. Yeah, we've had... I didn't lose too many people on that one. <laughs> no, we've had some really good conversation, but I'm going to have to turn the page a couple of times because I'm looking at our time, and I really want us to, um, to land on this last one. Um, and I think many people have felt this. They're just like, with all the negative things happening today around race, what can provide us optimism for the future? Because we're sitting here and talking about how even just mere terms can pit side against side, and we're not even willing to engage to see if we're disagreeing about the same thing. And, and, and if you turn on the news, you see upheaval, and it just seems like every, the world is a dumpster fire. Yeah. Um, and so why do we sit here on this stage today and have any semblance of hope? Huh. Why do we think that there could be change? And why do we even care to fight for it? To, and by fight, I mean sh uh, shine a light in the dark places. That's what I mean by fight. Why, to, to make it known and, and to try to be a force for good. Why do we care as we sit here on the stage today seeing all that we see around us? It is an incredible mess. Uh, it, it's it's uh, as, as we're... I don't know. Uh, you know, democracy itself is in question, and and uh, the the political issues and the racial issues and the economic issues. It's all just wrapped up. It's very easy to get pessimistic, and um, uh, I'm I'm kind of inclined towards that cynical direction anyway. So this is a really important question for me. <laughs> uh, it's uh, you know ultimately for me, I, 
you know, faith is a vision of, of, of things that you anticipate and things you hope for, and it, it's a concrete image you hold in your head. And um, my ultimate hope is, is uh, the thing that keeps me going is that I know that in the end, light overcomes darkness. Uh, and, and Jesus wins in the end. Love conquers all in the end. Hallelujah. Um, and and I, I, so I just envisioned that. And so however dark things go, as we've been in this kind of climate that we're in the last couple of years, my hope in Jesus Christ has become more and more and more precious because uh, there's so much less to hang on to, you know. And uh, uh, one advantage of, of uh, the situation here is that I think the hopelessness kind of settles in on some people. They're looking for some kind of hope, and we've, we've got the hope of the world, the light of the world, the Savior, Jesus Christ. So now that's the ultimate hope. But because light, I know that darkness cannot overcome the light, I, I get encouraged by looking at how light has been victorious in various ways leading up to here. Yeah. Uh, we're not in the same place we were in 1965. Yes. And, and, um, and so the, we've made progress. Um, it's been two steps forward, one step backward, and uneven, but... Uh, praise God for that. And so if we've made this kind of progress, we can have hope that we'll keep on making progress in it. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Thank you, Greg. Cedric. Yeah, I, Greg said a lot of the things that I was going to say. In my Didn't mind, mean to steal th- your thunder. Yeah, no problem. <laughs> did a great job. <laughs> He's um, so eloquent. <laughs> He's eloquent. <laughs> um, in my mind, I had a picture of like a door opening and light just coming in, but the door wasn't completely open, so light could not get all the way in the whole room. And I feel like as we have gone on through history, the door is cracking more and more and more. And that's kind of the mental image that I have in my mind, um, that there's not complete light based on the dumpster fire that you just brought up. But I do, I want to make sure, I was having a conversation with someone and it was a, a white person, and they were just saying, oh, my goodness, it's so bad, and you see the news. And, it's so, and, and they were really coming to grips with how bad and, you know, systemic racism and things like that, and it was just almost overwhelming for them. And it was like, I don't know what we're going to do, and this is crazy. And just listening to them, I was getting overwhelmed. And I was like, <laughs> wait a minute. Like, that's not how I respond. That's not how people look that looks like me respond. We have been dealing with atrocities and issues all our lives and over history. And if we had the, the sentiment or the overall kind of feeling that, hey, we can't do this anymore, we give up, where in the world would we be? Like, right. we had to have hope. Yeah. There was nothing else that we could right. depend on right. was That's God, literally, and hope that he'd get us out of this. And so, in, like, my mental narrative is that we are continuing to make steps. As Greg said, and I agree with him, sometimes we're taking two steps back yep. and one step forward. But yet I still feel progressively that we're going in, inching for and in my kind of um, picture that I set up that the door is opening more and more and light is coming into the room and I feel and see it that way I also wanted to say I'm glad you brought this question up is because when we're talking about these issues a lot of times and I got to be careful with this we don't mention the um the successes that we have had over the years. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was, I, was, I was talking to the panel about this, but you know, some years ago, I have a um, white wife. Some years ago, I could not have married my wife within my parents' lifetime. Yeah. Right? So it hit home to me as all of the things that we're doing, I'm grateful. I am truly grateful 
that I'm able to have the family that I have, but it's because of the success of some of the things that we are talking about now. And I'm grateful for that. And I think it should be celebrated. Cedric, if I could just say this, one of the things that I've I've learned from you uh, is that that, uh, cynicism is kind of a white privilege. It is. Uh, It's it's easy for me to just kind of check out and say, oh, my hopes in Jesus, forget about America. Uh, but, but you can't afford to do that. And that's been a real eye-opener education thing for yeah. me. So, well, thank you. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Good. <laughs> <laughs> what else do we add to that? Good stuff. Um, yeah, I totally agree with, with, with you, Cedric, and that we have to look at the, the, the progress that has been made. Um, and those are the things that we, that we want to hold on to that, that gives us hope. But for, for me... Um, I, don't, I had a few things kind of racing in my mind. I remember a sermon from um, uh, at my previous church where the pastor talked about being delayed but not denied. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, that really stuck with me was that we may not see um, um, the, the change we want to see or what we think should be happening now, but that doesn't mean it's not coming. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it may just be delayed, um, but, it's, but it's not denied. And then I just think, I also think about... Um, Something I've, I've held on to for a long, long time from the Bible where it talks about how the, the last would be first and the first would be last, right? Um, and I used to think of that one, uh, one way when I was younger, like, all right, black folks, we're about to be on top soon, <laughs> right? It's coming. It's coming. <laughs> um, and so, but now, you know, um, as, as, a, as a more mature Christian, um, <laughs> I, I see it as though... I see it as though God is, God is bringing this together so that there will be no first or a last, mm-hmm. All right? We, we won't be, there won't be a difference. Um, and so that's how the last becomes first and the first becomes last um, to me. So, you know, I think just, just my hope um, in Jesus, um, my, my hope for my son mm-hmm. um, and the kind of world that he's um, growing up in and will experience are things that, 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 that continue to drive me. Um, and the other thing I, I, I think about um, is what else would I do? Um, you know, freedom is such a draw. Um, it is such a draw. Um, it's such a motivational thing that it drives us to continue to pursue it and, 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 and get any glimpse of, 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 of attaining it. And so that's another thing that, 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 that pushes me. For, for my white brothers and sisters, um, I, I, I would say um, continue, to, continue to live um, in love. Um, you know, if, if you need a motivator to keep you going and to keep you fighting um, and whatnot, um, continue to live in love. Um, continue to seek that out. Continue to live your lives through that. Continue to operate out of that um, as ways to keep you going in, in, in this fight. Because it's not, it's, it's just, it's, it's one of those things where it, it's not going to be solved in our lifetime. Um, it wasn't created in our lifetime. It was created over years and hundreds of years ago, and it's not going to just take, you know, a few decades to turn this around. So it's a fight that we got to stay in. We have to, uh, and until everyone is at the same level and everyone is seeing the same, um, and it's not just, you know, um, it's not just about, you know, how we treat people, but it's also about how we think about people um, because our thoughts 
are going to be the things that drive our actions. Um, and so we have to continue to pray for, for that, that, that freeing of our mind um, and continue to, to just live in love. Amen. Amen. Yeah. Thank you all for sending in your questions and being engaged in this conversation. We are like super out of time. I just want to say during the reckoning and the blowback that we've been experiencing in the last few years um, and the way that I've experienced that in my life as I see what's happening, I continually get the visual of being um, in the boat and the waves are crashing all around me and it's, it's, there's a storm, right? And Jesus calms the storm. And what I've envisioned is Jesus sitting in the boat with me and just reminding me who I am and whose I am. And in that, I am reminded to not return kind for kind. James Comey is this old theologian, like back in the day in the South during some horrific times. And his mom always taught him, don't you hate like they hate, like you walk in love. And that can be hard to do, but that is the call as a kingdom Amen. person. Amen. Don't return kind for kind. Don't hate like others hate. Be a light that shines in that darkness. And, and, and with the power of God, walk in love. Thank you guys so much for being here. Uh, we want to remind you that if you need prayer, we will have prayer ministers up here to partner with you in prayer, also online. We hope that you'll check out the MuseCast where we'll maybe get to some of the questions we didn't get to today. So please check that out. Be a part of gathering groups if, if you want to discuss these sermons. It's a wonderful opportunity to meet with others and grow deeper. And if you have kiddos in Heroes Gate, you need to run and go get them, but also save your spot for next week. Thanks, guys. Have a wonderful, wonderful rest of your day. Bless